I, I trust you all had a great uh, holiday weekend. Um, did anybody light off any fireworks? Anybody? Yeah? Uh, you know, they had the fireworks tents out this year, uh, and so uh, my wife and I decided, we said, you know what, it'd be great if we get the kids to bed early, so let's just go buy our own fireworks, which we've never done before. And so uh, we lit off our own fireworks in the backyard, and uh, we didn't burn the house down, so that's a good thing. Uh, my two-year-old daughter, Truly, was all excited about the fireworks, and she's like, I like fireworks, I like fireworks, and then afterwards, she said, I do not like fireworks. She was a little scared by it, but we had a great time, and so uh, if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, when I was 15 years old, uh, my dad was just turning 45, and uh, he was going through what some people would consider to be a midlife crisis type season in his life, and uh, he didn't go out and buy a sports car or anything like that, although if we were kids in the, you know, that time frame, we would have loved if he did that, um, but uh, he decided that he wanted to get in shape, and so he went out and he got a book called Four Months to a Four-Hour Marathon, and uh, he decided that he was going to run a marathon, and so uh, for the next few months, he started changing things. He started changing his diet. He started changing his schedule. He uh, started changing uh, the way he would dress. He would buy these special uh, running shoes and, and all the special running clothes that you have to have when you're a runner. And uh, I, uh, every day he would, just, he would run just a little bit more than the day before. And uh, I remember this because it was my job. He would send me out uh, on ahead of him on my bike, and I would wait at the checkpoints and have water ready for him so that he could keep going. Uh, and do his training. And uh, to this day, I still remember the look on my father's face as he would run towards me. And I'll tell you this because I've said this to him, so it's no secret. I'm not telling it to you behind his back. Um, I'll just be honest. My dad is what I would consider to be an ugly runner. Okay? You know, he's just, he's covered in sweat. He's running. He looks like everything's about to fall apart and break in him. And like, he just looks like he's about to die. And, and to this day, my perception of exercise is directly connected to how my mental picture of my father running as he was training for a marathon. And of course, uh, after four months or so, he uh, went and he entered a marathon and he ended up finishing. He finished in just a little over five hours, didn't quite make the four-hour mark, but uh, he did a great job. And now he's one of those guys that is always wearing a t-shirt of the last race he ran and, uh, you know, making us all look bad. And... Um, I look back on my dad's journey in planning and training and executing for that marathon, and uh, there's so many parallels to uh, living our lives and running a race. In fact, uh, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, actually compares living the life of faith to running a race. And uh, the author of Hebrews says, we are running a race, so let's run with endurance, and running with endurance, I think, is a really, uh, it's an interesting concept. In fact, it's something that we really don't think about that often. And if I'm honest with you, um, I only really think about endurance when I'm going through a difficult time. Uh, when I'm going through a difficult time or I'm going through, or having a rough day or having a, a difficult season in my life, that's when I ask myself, am I really going to make it? Do I really have what it takes to get through this? Do I have what it takes not just to get through this moment, but how, how am I going to make it for the long haul? How am I going to uh, uh, succeed long term, not just in the short term, but long term? How do we have endurance uh, for the long haul? I think we all want our lives to count. 
We all want our lives to be effective and vibrant and meaningful, not just for the short term, but for the long haul. But I think if we're honest, we'll say, we'll realize that there are people in our lives who we've seen who have shown brightly for a season. And then that season ends. And they burn out, or they don't make it for the long haul. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was out in western New York with my parents at their house, and uh, we were talking, and they pulled out the Grace Assembly of God directory from 1993. Now, this is before Facebook, folks. So this is how people in church got to know each other back in the day. Um, so this is our family photo uh, from... Grace Assembly of God, circa 1993. This is the McLaughlin family. That's me in the sweater, the striped sweater. Uh, we call this the Christmas tree photo, not because it was a Christmas photo, but because our family shaped like a Christmas tree in the photo. And uh, I actually have pictures of a decent number of you uh, that are here today, but I will not go through them uh, because I, I want to be nice today. Uh, but it was, it was neat because we... Um, we were going through, and, and it, uh, my parents were talking about all the people who had influenced their lives, all their friends from that season of their lives, the people who had invested in them, and uh, they were telling me different stories about each person that they knew, and, um, and, so, and, and it was neat to see how many of them uh, are still connected to this church family today, how many young people came up through the church and are serving the Lord, how many young people are, are serving now in ministry, even all across our nation and our world. And uh, it was just a, it was a neat experience. But at the same time, it was also a sobering experience. Because there were many pictures that we went through, and I would say, well, what happened to this person? And they said, well, this, this person, they're not serving the Lord anymore. Uh, what about this family? Well, this family split up. They, they're not together anymore. What happened to this person? Oh, this person, they, they went right back to the world. And uh, it was a sobering reality. Because there were people that in that season of life were shining brightly in the moment. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just shine brightly for a moment. I want to make it for the long haul. And so uh, a question that I think uh, the author of Hebrews really wrestles with here in this passage, and that, that's the question I want to wrestle with today, is how do, we, how do we develop the grit to finish and to finish well? How do we develop the endurance and the grit to finish and to finish well? How do we live this life of faith well? Let's look here at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to start reading in verse 1, and this is uh, from the New Living Translation. The author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. 
Would you pray with me one more time this morning? Heavenly Father, today we thank you for your word. And Lord, it's our prayer and it's our desire, uh, Lord, not just to shine brightly for a moment, but Lord, to develop the endurance to finish the race that you've marked out for us and to finish well. So God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our understanding, God, to be sensitive to what it is you want to speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the author of Hebrews here, he gives us some unique insights into the race of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot here in this passage. I actually have seven thoughts for you this morning. Don't panic. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one. I'll get you out of here on time, but uh, we're going to dive right into it. And so uh, the first idea that he sets up for us is this. You did not get here by yourself. You didn't get here by yourself. Uh, in his book, The Outliers, uh, author Malcolm Gladwell tackles uh, a concept that he calls the myth of the self-made man. And this is actually a, a very American concept. He said it's this idea of self-sufficiency that comes uh, in the American psyche, the American understanding. It's this idea that somehow our success and our achievement in life is purely the product of our own personal efforts, our own willpower, our own strength, and, and the skills and talents that we develop and exert in life. So we are self-made people. And he said this concept is really an American concept, and it's a myth. And he goes into, uh, I won't recite the whole book for you, but he goes into this idea of how uh, there is an ancestry and a community that contributes to who we are and where we are today. He says, you didn't get here by yourself. There are people who have made investments into your life. There are people who have sacrificed uh, in the past. And all of these things come together to give you the unique opportunity to be who you are and do what you do and live the life that you have. You didn't get here by yourself. And this is really what the author of Hebrews is saying, too. He's saying there is a spiritual heritage, there is a spiritual ancestry, and there is a community that contributes to who you are and where you are today in your faith journey. You didn't get here by yourself. In the previous chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, the author goes into this list. We, we famously call this passage in, in church circles, the, we call it the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? It's all of these stories of people who all throughout history put their faith and their trust in God and who passed on the baton of faith to the next generation. And so the author of Hebrews here, in the beginning of chapter 12, when he says, since we are surrounded, uh, since we have this great cloud, this great crowd of witnesses around us, let us run with endurance. He's saying, look at all of these people who have gone before you. Look at all of these people who lived their lives of faith and who passed on the baton of faith to the next generation. Look who's in the stands cheering for you. Look who's gone before you. You didn't get here by yourself. When I think about my own faith, I understand that I didn't get here by myself. Uh, I'm so grateful that in the late 1970s, there was a man by the name of Clifford who shared his testimony with my dad, and he gave my dad a Bible, 
And he said, Tom, I want you to read this Bible, and I want you to read one chapter every night. My dad, for six months, read one chapter of the Bible every night. And it stirred something in his heart. And, and around that same time, my dad's uncle Matthew invited him to come to a church with him. And that church was Grace Assembly of God. And it was here in this church in 1978 that my dad walked to this altar and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And it changed the spiritual trajectory of our entire family, of, of, of all of my brothers and sisters and now all of our children and hopefully our children's 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 children. There is a spiritual ancestry and a spiritual heritage we have that, that we can't take credit for that we had nothing to do with. It, it involves us, but it's bigger than us. You didn't get here by yourself. And if we, if we take the time today, we could trace back our spiritual roots all the way back. We could go back to the early 1900s and, and remember that the Holy Spirit was poured out, poured out uh, on Azusa Street, uh, in, and, and that began the movement that brought us the Assemblies of God, which is why we're even here today, why this church exists today. We could go back to the Moravian Revival of 1727, or we could go back to the Protestant Reformation of 1517, or we could go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 11 and the Hall of Fame of Faith and look at all of the heritage, the spiritual history that brought us to where we are today. You didn't get here by yourself. Now you may be here today and you might say, well, Pastor Dan, I, uh, I don't have a faith. And so, I did get here by myself. Well, let me tell you this. The fact that you're here today, the fact that you're able to hear the gospel preached to you, the fact that you're able to hear the word of God presented to you today is because you didn't get here by yourself. There is a spiritual heritage and history that allowed this moment to happen where you have the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. Whether you receive it or not is up to you. Our lives are part of a marathon that extends beyond this life. And the baton of faith has been handed to us at a great cost. There are people who have given their very lives so that you and I could know the gospel and extend it to the next generation. We didn't get here by ourselves. The second idea he gives us is this. He says, your race is unique. Your race is unique. You didn't get here by yourself. It's not all about you, but it involves you because your race is unique. He says, run with endurance the race God has set before us. Another version says the race God has marked out for you. So there is a unique race that God has set before us, a unique life of faith that God has called us to live out individually. And it's unique, not because you and I design it to be unique, but it's unique because he designed it to be unique for us. And so if this is true, if my race is unique, then I can't compare my race to anybody else. You with me? If my race is unique, then I can't compare my race to anybody else. I can't look at somebody else and say, well, this is, this is the way God is working in their life, so he must not be working in my life because he's working in their life that way. It doesn't work that way. My race is unique. And this is why it's so important for us not just to, to mentally assent to the uh, doctrine of the Christian faith, but for each one of us to have a personal, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. 
where we understand who Jesus is personally and we have a relationship where we're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because here's the truth. Nobody else can hear the voice of God for you, for the unique race that God has marked out for you. I'm not saying that other people may not speak into your life at times. I'm not saying that you cannot gain value from listening to sermons and and hearing what other people have to say about God. But there is a unique race that God has marked out for you. And it requires a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that I can hear his voice and know what he's uniquely called me to do in this life. I can't compare my race to anybody else. I can't count on anybody else to hear from God for me about the race he's designed for me. I can certainly look to others for inspiration. I can look to others for encouragement. I can learn from others, but I can't compare. Your race is unique. Only you can run it. Do you know that God has designed for you before the creation of the world a unique race for you to run? That he designed for you? the world was ever created. He's designed things for you to accomplish that only you can accomplish. Think about that. Now, don't take that and stress yourself out over it. Oh, no, I'm going to spoil God's plan for my life. (laughs) Take it this morning as a breath of fresh air and freedom. Freedom from comparing yourself to anybody else. Freedom from seeking approval. Freedom from trying to prove yourself. Freedom from trying to convince yourself of of your own value and your own worth. God has designed you uniquely, and he's uniquely designed a race that only you can run. It's a race that God has marked out for you. The third thought he gives us is this. You can't get there in a day. You can't get there in a day. Now, none of us want to hear this, do we? None of us want to hear this. We all want instantaneous transformation. We want instant results. That's why all these diet fads are out there, right? Because what do they offer? They offer that secret magic pill that's going to do it all for us in 30 days or less. And yet we still are allured by this idea of instantaneous transformation. Now, I believe that we serve a God who can do miraculous things and still does miraculous things and can do more in a moment than what we could ever do in a lifetime. Do you believe that? But at the same time, while I understand that and I believe that, I believe that the work of God is largely progressive in our lives. Meaning that most of the things that God wants to do and accomplish in our lives are not in single moments, but over a long period of time as he works out his good purposes in us. When it comes to the work of God in our lives, instantaneous transformation is actually the exception, not the rule. And good outcomes take time because we can't get there in a day. Uh, Three years ago when our family relocated back to Syracuse, um, my wife convinced me to put our kids uh, in piano lessons. And uh, so we started by putting our oldest three in piano. Now we've got our oldest four in piano. And so for those of you that have kids in music lessons, you know that that's like a second mortgage. Um, and, uh, but we thought it was valuable and we thought it was important, so we, we invested it and we did it. And, uh, and we put our kids in, and our oldest two kids started at the exact same spot in their, in their understanding of music theory and where they started in their music journey. And, uh, but our oldest two children are very different. My oldest son, Amos, he's 13 now. My daughter, Audrey, she's turning 12 this week. And... Uh, and they both learn very differently. My, my daughter, Audrey, is, um, uh, she is 
naturally driven. She is responsible. She's self-motivated. She's disciplined. She's dedicated. She's just so much like her father. Um, no. Um, she, no, she's really like her mother. Um, but anyway, she, uh, she started off and she just took off. She was just doing amazing. Like, and and th- she does really well in structured settings. And, and our teacher came back and said, listen, she's going to go at a different pace than your son. She just is. This is, just, this is, this is working for her, and so she's going to move at a different pace. And we said, okay, just let her, let her run, let her go. And she just took off and started doing great. My son, on the other hand, he's over there. Hi, Amos. Uh, he's like, why are you talking about me? <laughs> uh, he learns differently. He's a creative learner. He likes to color outside the lines. He likes to learn through experiment and trial and error. And it's just a very different way, a very different style of learning. He likes to experiment. And so uh, in the beginning, uh, he moved at a different pace. He moved at a little bit slower of a pace as he's learning this process and developing these skills. And uh, at, at one point in the first year, I'm thinking to myself, is this, are we, are we throwing our money away? Is this, is this going to happen? And then about a year, year and a half in, something switched. Something switched in his brain. And it all started to come together for him. And now he loves playing, and he plays so much, and he experiments, and he plays all sorts of things that I never could ever play in my life. And he plays probably three hours a day. Uh, He plays so much that we have to tell him to stop. We have to be like, hey, stop it. We've got to go to bed now, right? Uh, And every time I hear him play, though, now, and because he's, he's actually caught back up with his sister, which is un- remarkable. Um, every time I hear him play now, I'm reminded that good outcomes take time. And here's, here's the truth. If, if we judge where we're going by what we have when we start, we may never take the first step. And so the author tells us, he says, you, you can't get there in a day, the life of faith is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So we are running with endurance, meaning we're running for the long haul. What does he mean here? Endurance, in the Greek, it means a patient waiting, a patient enduring, a steadfastness, a cheerful endurance, a hopeful endurance. It means that even if I don't have everything I need when I begin, even if it seems like I may never get there, that I understand that God is at work in me, not just for the short term, but for the long haul. And I trust that the work that God began in me, he'll be faithful to finish. You can't get there in a day. The next thought he gives us is this. You can't take everything with you. You can't take everything with you. The author writes, he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. When you think about uh, the difference in physique between a sprinter and a marathon runner or a long-distance runner, you'll notice some striking differences, right? Have you ever seen a sprinter? Have you ever seen an Olympic sprinter, right? Usain Bolt. Right? They are the perfect phys- physical specimen of an athlete. Right? He's, he's ripped. He's got all these muscles, and his thighs are, like, ridiculous. Right? And it's just, just man, when you, if, you saw them, if you saw them in the grocery store, you'd be like, now that's an Olympic athlete. Right? And uh, they just, they're the perfect picture of, like, what an athlete would look like. But if you look at a, a marathon runner, 
Like, that could be your next-door neighbor, right? <laughs> they look almost sickly. You can see their ribs and, you know, the, their legs are like toothpicks. You're like, what? Like, you're a world-class athlete, and that's, what you, that's the body you chose? And if most of us, if we had the choice to choose between which physique we want, we would always choose the physique of the sprinter because that looks better, right? But a marathon runner understands that all of those muscles and all of that extra weight is only going to slow them down. That's going to wear on their knees. It's going to wear on their joints. It's going to make them move at a different pace. And they want to run fast, but they want to run for the long haul. They want to finish in the end. And so the life of faith that God calls us to, as much as we don't love the sound of this, is not the sprinter. It is the long-distance runner. It's the marathon. And so the author says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And so if we're going to run this race to the end, we've got to let go of the things that slow us down. So what slows us down? What slows us down? The first thing he says here is he says sin slows us down. Sin slows us down. Now, if we understand the gospel message, we understand that Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice for us on the cross, has taken the penalty and the eternal punishment of sin upon himself so that we do not have to experience that. So that when you and I, when we by faith put our trust in Jesus Christ, when you and I stand before God, he sees not our imperfection and not our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's taken away the power and the penalty of sin in, uh, over our lives. But if that's the case, if Jesus Christ has done that for us, well, then why don't we just live however we want? Why don't we just do whatever we want? If Jesus Christ has taken away everything that sin can do to us, then, then why don't we just do whatever we want? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but the author of Hebrews dives into a very important one here. And he says, listen, sin slows you down. It slows you down. It keeps you from running the unique race that God has marked out for you. It slows you down. It keeps you from finishing well. It distracts you from what God has for you. I'm so grateful that God has given us access to His Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives and we can lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live a life that is free of sin and overcome sin in this life. It is possible. But the author also says, he says, it's not just sin that slows us down. Listen to what he says. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. So he's saying, if you're going to start stripping down weights, start with the sin, right? That's a good thing to let go of first. But the notion he gives us is that it's not just sin that slows us down. There's other things that slow us down too. And I think anyone who's ever done anything great with their lives understands this principle, and that is that good things in our life can keep us from the best things. Good things in our lives can keep us from the best things. And I think an honest gut-level question for us to ask to ourselves is this, is what are the good things in my life that are slowing me down? What are the good things in my life that are keeping me from running the unique race that God has marked out for my life? Because if we want to run and we want to finish well, we want to be in this for the long haul, and not the short term. The truth is this. 
we can't take everything with us. We can't. The next thing he helps us see here is this. He says, your direction matters more than your speed. Your direction matters more than your speed. I think we've all seen people in life who are fast movers, right? They're people who just, they, they, they look like they're, man, they're on pace for success. They, by all accounts, they look like they're winning in life, and, and the speed of, of how they're getting there just seems so attractive. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, speed is great, but direction is better. Because listen, you can be going fast and going in the wrong direction, so it doesn't matter how fast you're going. But if you are crawling, if you are inching, if you are scraping forward in the right direction, you're doing better than the person that's running in the wrong direction. Your direction matters more than your speed. And so, what is our direction? The author of Hebrews here, he says, we run this race well by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And so, the key to success in finishing in this race of life is is a fixation on the person of Jesus Christ. So I have to ask myself, am I fixing my eyes and my attention and my devotion on the person of Jesus Christ? Is is the direction of my life pointed towards Him? Is He just a, a side note to my life? Is He just a weekend hobby? Or is He the center of everything I build my life around? The truth is this is that what we love determines our direction far more than what we believe. Let me say that again. What we love determines our direction far more than what we believe. It's easy for us to to say, yes, oh, I believe that. I believe Jesus Christ did this. I believe this truth, this truth, this truth, and this truth. And then never do anything that looks anything different than the world around us. But what we love changes what we do. It determines our direction. It determines our focus. It determines the outcomes of our lives. And so uh, I won't go into a whole study uh, this morning on the value, the purpose, and the placement of Christian discipline in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. But I will say this. We have to understand as followers of Jesus Christ that there is a difference between Christian discipline and legalism and self-justification. There's a difference. Okay? Legalism and self-justification says this is what I have to do to earn the favor of God. But Christian discipline, true Christian discipline at its heart, the premier discipline of the Christian life is setting our affections and our attention and our devotion on the person of Jesus Christ. It it is reforming the basic loves and desires of our hearts towards Him. It's redirecting the basic loves of our hearts towards Jesus Christ. And so when we fix our attention on Jesus We fix our lives on the person of Jesus Christ. He begins to do in us what we can't do for ourselves. He begins to help us to see the unique path that God has marked out for us. He begins to help us to let go of those things that are slowing us down. And he begins to give us the strength to endure, to walk through any of the difficulties that come our way. The next thought uh, the author gives us uh, and this is probably the least f- fun point. I don't like preaching about this, but it's, it's in here, so it's the Bible. We're going to talk about it. Um, and that's this, is that pain is your friend. Pain is your friend. The author writes, 
No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The author is actually saying here, he says that, that, that pain in the life of faith is evidence of our identity as children of God. Meaning when you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and you walk through moments of pain, it doesn't discount what God is doing in your life. It actually proves it. It is actually proof that your identity is as children of God. The author says, look at what Jesus Christ went through on the cross. Look at the suffering he endured. Look at what he walked through for your sake and look at what he accomplished through pain. Look at the pain and the sacrifice that it takes to do anything good or meaningful in life. And look at how much efforts parents go through to painfully discipline their children so that they turn out the right way. Pain is our friend. Now I think there's, if we, if we look at pain from a broader perspective, I think you know, we can categorize pain in two basic areas, right? We can, there's, one type of pain is, is pain that is just a result of our broken world. We live in a world that's broken. It's broken because of sin, and because of that, there are things that just exist in our world that are painful. There's sickness, there's disease, there's cancer, there's death, there's loss of loved ones, there's poverty, there's starvation. There's all sorts of things that exist in our world today that are painful, that are simply the result of our world being broken. But the author of Hebrews also gives us this idea that there's also pain that can exist in our lives that's actually the direct work of God in our lives as divine discipline. It's God allowing us to walk through painful moments so that we learn something from Him and we grow stronger in Him as we trust Him. Now, here's the truth. When it comes to pain, most of us don't have time to sort out where the pain's coming from. Right? We don't just sit there and say, oh, I'm in pain right now, so let me think to myself, is this pain that's a natural result of the brokenness of our world, or is it pain that's a result of God's divine discipline in our lives? Let me ponder this for a moment. <laughs> no, we don't usually take the time to do that, right? Because we're in pain. We just say, ouch, I don't want to experience this. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to walk through this right now. But here's the truth about pain. And I don't mean to trivialize it, and I don't mean to simplify it too much. We could talk about this all day, but pain, both types of pain, regardless of the origin, for a follower of Jesus Christ, if we process it properly, it has the power to point our hearts to Jesus Christ in a greater way. And so whether pain in our lives is the product of the brokenness of our world or whether it's the product of God's divine discipline, it is our friend because it has the power to point us to Jesus Christ in a greater way. And if the pain we're experiencing in our lives is specifically from God's divine discipline, then that is an indication of the love of God in my life, not the wrath of God in my life. You see, there's a difference between the wrath of God and the discipline of God. The wrath of God is reserved for the enemies of God, but the discipline of God is reserved for sons and daughters of God. God disciplines us because we are his children. He disciplines us so that we will become stronger. He takes us through seasons of struggle and uncertainty so that we learn to become fully dependent on him. Why? Because his ultimate goal is for us to finish and to finish well. Can I have Maddie come 
And the last thought he gives to us today is this. He says, you don't run alone. You don't run alone. He says, Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Another translation says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Another says he is the initiator and the perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ is the reason that any of us have faith to begin with. He's the one that started it in us. And he's the one that's going to finish it in us. And he says, I am going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. You're never going to run alone in this life. You're never going to be alone. I'm always going to be with you. In fact, even, even when you are running, and in fact, maybe you're not even running. Maybe you're crawling. Maybe you're moving at a very slow pace forward. He will slow down with you and walk with you slowly so that you can begin to let go of some of those things that are slowing you down. It's the God we serve. He is the one who does it. He's the champion. He's the one who helps us to see the unique path that God's marked out for us. He's the one who works out this discipline in us so that we can become stronger. He is the champion who helps us finish. Aren't you grateful today that we have a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to overcome the colossal weight wall of sin that separates us from God the Father by giving his very life for us on the cross. The author of Hebrews says, very simply, he says this, he says, he endured the cross for the joy that was awaiting him. What was that joy? The joy was you. It was me. That's why he walked through what he did. Would you stand with me? you bow your heads and your hearts this morning. I'm going to have our prayer team come forward. And as they do, we understand today that maybe you're walking through a season that's difficult. Maybe you're walking through a season where you say, you know what? I'm not sure how I'm going to get through. I'm not sure how I'm going to make it. I'm not sure how I'm going to develop the endurance that it takes to get to the end. And you need to be encouraged today. I encourage you to come forward and receive prayer this morning. But as we do, I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, our prayer team is here to pray with you for anybody that wants to come up as we do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for who you are. God, today we take a moment to acknowledge that we, we don't have what it takes in ourselves to finish well on our own. God, we need you. We need you. So God, we pray that you develop in us the endurance that we need to make it to the end and to finish and to finish well. God, we thank you. We're so grateful for the spiritual heritage and ancestry, God, that the community that, that brought together why we have the opportunity to see and know and experience the love of God in our lives today. God, we thank you that your work in us is bigger than us 
but that it involves us. God, today I pray that you would just begin to set some individuals free in this room from comparing their race to anybody else. God, that you would just begin to give them a passion to know your voice and to hear you in a way that they have never heard you before. God, that they would uniquely seek out the voice of the Holy Spirit working in their lives today. God, I pray for those who feel like they're stuck and that they're trying so hard to get where they know they need to be, but they don't feel like they're making any progress. God, I pray that you encourage their hearts to know that your work in them is not just for today. It's not just for this moment, but God, it's a work for a lifetime. And so we can put our faith and our trust in a God who sees every season of our lives and stewards all of them well. God, for those of us here today who maybe need to let go of some things, God, I pray that you'd help us to let go. God, help us to let go, not just of the sin that slows us down, but of the good things in our lives that are keeping us from the best things that you have for us, God. And Lord, as we do, I pray, God, that you would help us to point our attention on you. Our affections, our loves, our desires on the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we walk through even moments of pain and difficulty in our lives, God, that we would receive each one of them as an opportunity for our hearts to be pointed towards you in a greater way. Because in the end, God, you, you're the champion. Jesus, you're the champion. You, you started this, God, and we put our faith and our trust in you to finish it. And so we put our faith and our trust in you today, and we're so grateful, God, that we don't have to walk alone. So today, God, it's our prayer that you'd help us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, our champion. And God, that you would give us, that you would build in us the endurance to finish and to finish well the unique grace you've marked out for us. We give our lives to you today. And we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name.